you and I together, we, are engaged in a very long battle that has been raging uh, since the beginning of time. But this battle, unlike most that we see or hear about on the news or, you know, our media pages, is not fought with um, bullets or bombs. It's not fought with drones. It's fought with um, ideologies, beliefs, or religions or religious practices. And this battle specifically is targeted on winning one thing. Everybody is fighting over this one thing. It's focused on winning the right to determine the truth about who we as a humankind, human race are, who we are as people. A quick survey of our history will reflect that people have always desired to win the right to be the loudest voice within our society when it comes to determining who we are or what we are as a, as a, as a human race, as a person. What does it mean to be a person? Who are you as a person? People have been fighting over this um, you know, they want to possess that power to be the one who determines that. Every religion has an idea or a concept of who mankind is. And every religion says it has successfully answered the question, what are you here for? Who are you? What's wrong with the world? How can it be made right? Every religion attempts to answer those questions. In fact, most religions would say we, we have found the answer and we are the right one. It is beneficial to know who is saying this when it comes to our existence. It's beneficial to know who the voices are. Because those who would determine who or what a person is will determine how or what a person should be doing or how a person should be living. What you do is dependent on who you are. That goes hand in hand. So over time, this long battle to define mankind has essentially created three basic views. Here's what it all boils down to. Here's what people are fighting over. They want to know if um, they want to know what the, the truthful, the most truthful thing out of these three basic ideas is. Is mankind well? Is mankind sick? Or is mankind dead? Those are the three basic views left. That's what it all boils down to. That's what people are fighting to determine to say that we are the ones who are going to say what is right and what is wrong. Is mankind well? Is mankind sick? Or is mankind dead? So let's look at those three basic views of humankind. If, if you believe we are well, the person is generally well, then a good diet, plenty of exercise, a bottle of vitamins, that's pretty much all you need to see you through this life. That's it. If you're mentally, mentally physically, emotionally well, then you just have to upkeep the, the bag of bones you're carrying around, all right? That's, that's pretty much it. You just got to have a good diet, good exercise, a bottle of vitamins, and you're good to go. I'm okay. You're okay. Everybody's okay. And there's a whole section. There's a whole people that believe this teaching, and they're dedicated to just helping people live a full life through exercise, positive thinking, smart life choices. There's most of our world, that's what you'll hear. If you want a better life, you just need to turn it, turn it around physically and you'll be fine. Oh, there's also some vague spirituality mixed in with a dash of self-love and every little thing is going to be all right. That's if mankind is well. If mankind is sick, whether physically or emotionally or spiritually sick, uh, what we tend to do is invest in systems that will help cure the sickness. If we help people think positively, if we set up support systems where people can experience more of what life has to offer, 
They will get well. They will live full, happy lives. They will rise out of what is considered to be the cycle of sickness. And if you believe people to be sick, what happens is, um, if this is how you generally think a person is, if they're just sick and it's not their fault, they've caught some sort of disease mentally or physically or spiritually, then we begin to make excuses for evil actions. We begin to separate what somebody does from who they are. If you believe mankind is sick, we actually don't have an answer for what's wrong with the world. We just don't know what the sickness is and how we're supposed to heal it. If you, but if you believe mankind is dead, if you believe mankind is dead, then something far more powerful than positive thinking, a whole jar full of vitamins, healthy living, vague spirituality, something far more than all those has to take place. If that's who we are as a person, if we are dead. If you believe mankind is dead on arrival, then what happens then is you don't need something to create your life to be more healthy. You need your heart and your mind to be resuscitated. You need to be brought back to life. Now, before I continue, not really looking through those three areas, but through the verses that, was read, that were read to us, I want you to help understand why each and every Sunday the Bible takes us through what seemed to be, you know, I write these messages in the middle of the week and I think, my goodness, some of this stuff is quite depressing. Each and every Sunday, the Bible takes us through what seems to be the heaviest topics that we will ever consider. It's true. Every time we come to church, the Bible is written, it is the word of God, it is inspired, it is perfect. It is aimed at your heart and at your mind and at your soul. It's never going to give you some surface level thing. It never does and it never will. In fact, if you ever are visiting a church or go somewhere or go to a, a Bible study, if you open the Bible for yourself and you're not completely impacted to your core, then don't listen to that person teach the Bible anymore. Now, it's not to lift me up as some great Bible teacher, okay? There's no difference between you and me. I'm just three feet higher, okay? And most preachers are higher than people, so people can, when they can you know, see them when they throw stuff at them. That's, that's how it goes. But each and every Sunday, the Bible takes us through what seem to be some of the most heaviest topics to think about. Every time we gather, we feel as though God is walking us through the most important topics we will consider. And this is because the Bible cuts through all the fluff. It cuts through all the surface-level conversations, which honestly only waste our time. And it causes us to come face-to-face with what is real. It allows us to come face-to-face with what is real. And in our heart of hearts, all of us as people, we just want to know what is real. That's why the words genuine And authenticity and authentic are such huge buzzwords today. People want to know what is real. They won't want to know what is fake. So when we read the Bible, when we learn from the Bible, it causes us to consider these three things. Is mankind well? Does the Bible position us as just simply being sick? Or is mankind dead? And how you answer those questions, how you answer that question, specifically what you believe about those three things, will determine how you live the rest of your life. It'll determine every action you take. So how would you answer these questions? You see, this is what people are battling over, to win the right to be the ones to say this is what the truth is. That's all the world is doing with everything it has. Every step that you see, that's what people are doing. They're they're battling to determine who gets to decide what is true. It's at the great center The great battle of the world, which has been raging since the beginning of creation. In fact, this is what every soul, every person, everyone here, everyone who will be here next service, everyone who ever visits this church, this is really what you're battling, whether you know it or not. 
You think of questions like, what is wrong with the world? How can it be made right? Or am I what is wrong with the world? Spoiler alert, you are. And how can I be made right? It's how you answer these questions, which then will reveal either the way you're living today or how you'd want to live in the future. And of course, as we discover every week, the word of God, the authoritative word of God, so as our, in our church, as, as a Christian, and in fact, whether you're in our church or not, whether you, if you are a Christian, this Bible is your authoritative word. Like, you, you can't live as a Christian and then just take some of this and not all of it. You can't live as a Christian and say, well, I, I go by my gut feeling or what I'm thinking that day. No, this is your authority. All Christians everywhere, this is what has been given to us as an authority. And so like every week, we can ask ourselves these questions, but we always know that the word of God is going to provide the answer. That's what's so great about it. That's why it's a joy to gather like this every week and open the Bible. Because the things that we've been searching for all week are going to be found in what we're going to learn every single week. So here's the big idea of those 10 verses that Nathaniel read. Here it is. Mankind is dead. Sorry to sort of crush your spirit there. Mankind is dead and in desperate need of resurrection. Mankind is dead and in desperate need of resurrection. The Apostle Paul, the the man who wrote this letter, is what he's doing in these verses is essentially revealing the past, present, and then the future aspects of salvation. What we call salvation, saved from sin, saved to eternal heaven with God, saved from our guilt, saved from our shame, saved from being enslaved to our sinful acts any longer. This is what Paul is doing. He's, he's, he's revealing the past, the, pe- the present, and the future aspects of this salvation. So if you are a Christian, Paul will reveal who you were, right? Who we used to be. Praise God, it's not who we are now. Who we are and where, and where you are and what you will be. So Paul's going to tell you who you were, who you are, and what you're going to do in the future. All in these 10 verses. If you're not a Christian, Paul will reveal to you where you are in your current state of life, where God desires to have you, and what God wants you to be. That's the great thing about the Bible. It actually speaks to the Christian and the non-Christian all at the same time. And so these first four verses, they, they, they state who we once were. This is why I enjoy opening the Bible, because I always remember who John was in the past. Remember? When you read it and you go, oh, that was me. Oh, but Jesus, right? That's the most encouraging thing to do. It's not always bad to remember. Sometimes it's really good to see where God has taken you from. It says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins. That doesn't mean you were sick. That doesn't mean you're A-OK. It's very clear right there. I didn't even have to twist anything this morning. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. In which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That's Satan's systems. That's Satan's demons. That is a spirit of darkness. That's what it's describing. Among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Paul is revealing the past, present, and future aspects of our salvation, and he starts with, here's who you were. 
Paul leads with this, I mean, it's, it's in your face. It's, it's going to cause you to think right away about who you were. He says, a person before Christ is stained and dead in their sin. And that sin is death. There is no more clearer teaching in the Bible than the truthfulness and the destructiveness of sin. Friends, our basic trouble or our basic problem in this life is not being out of sync with the world around us. It is being out of sync with the God who created the world around us. Your primary problem is not that you can't have meaningful relationships with other people. That's not it. The primary problem is that apart from a belief and faith in Jesus, you have no relationship with God because your sin has alienated, separated you from God. The person who does not worship Jesus as their Lord is physically alive, but they are spiritually dead, Paul says. Although you're breathing and your soul, uh, although you are breathing, your soul is suffocating. Although you eat and you sleep, your heart and your soul remains starved and tired. This is the hardest teaching of the Bible to accept. In fact, this is why most people turn and run as soon as it's opened. That's why we should always praise God for the grace that he has shown us to allow us to look into it and learn from it. Apart from the work of God, you don't look at the Bible and go, man, I can't wait. I love that thing. I can't wait for the Bible to tear me down again. Now, that's the work of God in your life, allowing you to do that. This is the hardest thing in the Bible to accept. And this is the hardest thing, that everyone and anyone who has ever lived, ever lived and ever will live, apart from a relationship with Jesus Christ, is dead in their sin. The reality of our sinfulness is hard to accept because we don't like to be told that something is wrong with us. This is hard for us to hear because we tend to think very highly of ourselves. If you don't believe me, ask my wife. You guys are very gracious to me. Thank you. We justify our actions. We're blind to our sin. It's always the other person, isn't it? It's always the other person. It's always the other person. And by the nods I'm seeing, some of you guys need some counseling. I'm just joking. Coming to terms with this truth is hard for us because we don't like to admit our weakness or our failures. Coming to terms with this truth is hard for us because we don't like to admit our weaknesses or our failures. And ultimately, this is hard teaching because most of us don't act in overtly sinful ways. Isn't that true as well? We say, hold on a minute. I, I don't steal. I don't murder. I'm generally nice to people. I don't even curse. I yelled at a guy on the basketball floor yesterday for doing that. I said, you fouled me and you cursed. That's not okay. In fact, you may be an outwardly moral person. You may be a generally good person. The world would look at you and go, yeah, they're, they're a good neighbor. They're a good coworker. They're a good boss. I mean, they're just a generally good person. I enjoy being around them. But the truth about sin is this. You're not a sinner because of what you have done. Please understand this. You're not a sinner because of what you have done, but because of who you are. Because of who you are. Alienated from God, dead in your sin. It's not because of what you've done, it's who you are. Now, because of who you are, you do certain things. But you're not a sinner because of what you've done. You're a sinner because of who you are. 
which, by the way, makes Christianity the most inviting and inclusive religious belief system on the planet because it doesn't matter what you've done. Everyone is in the same state from birth. And God will receive everyone at the exact same time through the cross of Jesus Christ. You're not a sinner because of what you've done. You're a sinner because of who you are. Sin affects everyone everywhere. A verse in a different letter that Paul writes, he says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Which means, even if you are morally upright, apart from the work of Christ in your life, you have no ability to glorify God. This is the essence of what it means to be a sinner. Sin is the inability to glorify God, to give God the glory, to recognize him. The inability to see him for who he is. So as a sinner... If you're in sin, here's what you do. You ignore God in the world that he created and you are not being or you are not doing what he requires in his law. That's sin. You ignore God in the world that he created and you are not doing or being what he has required in his law. We have been created to glorify him and enjoy him forever, but our sin has separated us from him. We are dead in that sin, unable to recognize, glorify, appreciate, or obey God. That's sin. The truth about our sinfulness is so essential to our faith. It is so essential to our faith because, now this is where the spirit of the power of the air, the power of the time, the power of the world, this, now you can see the great battle that is raging in what I'm about to say. You will see it very clearly. The truth about our sinfulness is so essential because if we get rid of sin, we would not be, need to be forgiven for that sin, correct? Good. If we do not need to be forgiven for sin, we wouldn't need a Savior. And if we don't need a Savior, Jesus isn't God. He's just a teacher. Can you see now how the battle, how the battle rages on? If we think people are sick or generally well, then who is Jesus but just another person who showed up, claimed a bunch of great stuff that we now live by, but he's not really God. Friends, if we get rid of the truthfulness of sin, we totally get rid of Jesus. But we're so thankful that's not the end of our story. To be dead in our sin is not the end of our story. That's who we were. We were dead in our trespasses and our sin, just like everybody else. We all once walked in the same way. Nobody can stand up and say, yeah, but at birth, I was far better than that person over there. doesn't matter. We were all dead. This is not where the story ends because God and his love and his mercy, Paul says, he raised us from the dead. Christianity says that God has the power to raise you from this death. And anyone who would believe in Jesus, anyone can be raised from the dead. Here's the main point. And then we'll continue with the other verses. The main point, the grace of God has the power to raise the dead. And that's it. The grace and grace alone has the power to raise God from the dead. How fitting that Sue calls in the beginning, middle of the week and says, I got to sing a song about grace, which took me back about 29 years. I think we sing that at, every, at the end of every church service when I grew up. Every single week. The grace of God has the power to raise the dead. That's what Paul is telling us. But God... Remember the best word in the Bible, but you once were, but, but God being rich in his mercy because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our sin, what did he do? He made us alive together with Christ. And then here's this little phrase that Paul says, by grace, you have been saved and you've been raised up with him and seated with it, with us, with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages, 
He might show his immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Jesus Christ. We could sing and write song after song after song about grace. And what Paul says is that it's so immeasurable, you do that for all eternity, and you still wouldn't fully understand God's grace. That's how deep and wide the grace of God is. Verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. Some of us need to hear that today. It is a gift of God. Not a result of your works, so that no one may boast. This is why everyone should be invited to the table where the Bible is opened. Everyone should be invited to church to hear the word of God. Because you are not here because you did some work that allowed you to enter into those doors, did you? In fact, some of us would say, I did something this week that I shouldn't even be in here. That's guilt, that's condemnation. We actually go the other way with that. It says, for by grace you have been saved. It's not of anything you did. Listen, dead people don't do anything. They don't make a decision for Jesus. They don't raise their hand. They don't start living a moral life. You need to be raised from the dead first. There was a time when we were trapped, stuck, imprisoned in sin. We were enslaved to it. We, we had no other action but to do it. It's all we did was sin, and we enjoyed it. In fact, we didn't know why we enjoyed it. We even enjoyed when it went wrong because we loved it. It was a cycle. We couldn't get out of it. Our actions and decisions revealed our dark spiritual reality. But, Paul says, you were saved by God's love. And this love is fueled by his grace and his mercy. These verses completely subvert any idea that Christianity is a religion of works. It just totally turns it upside down. There is nothing you can do to earn God's love. There is no better decision-making you can be a part of. There is no part of the morality that you can throw up to God and say, look at what I've done this week. Don't you love me more? None of that matters. Because if you're dead, you're dead. But God, he raised you from the dead. He is merciful. He made it possible for you and for me and for anyone who would believe in this truth to be removed from our sin. So hear me. Listen. I speak with a burning passion about this truth. I wanted to preach every single week, week in and week out, unless I'm tired. Then Mike and Kenny and Nathaniel can do it. I speak with a burning passion about the gospel because it's far more than positive thinking or moral living, which is what everybody is trying to find. What do you do when something goes wrong in your life? Think more positively. Make a life change. Take some counsel from a friend which could be good on the outside but not really affect the soul or the heart or the mind. That'll last for another week and then you go and search for some more and that'll last maybe two weeks and then you go and search for some more. It's far more. The good news of the Bible is far more than positive thinking or moral living. The gospel is not simply a list of rules or a book full of interesting stories. The gospel, the Bible, is the good news. It tells us the story of a God who pursues his creation with the goal of loving them and having mercy upon them even when we don't deserve it. These verses tell us that God is a God who loves us enough to lift us out of our ignorance, out of our imprisonment of our sin. And these verses describe a God who has mercy on us, a mercy which we do not deserve. Let me illustrate the mercy. It's just unfathomable. And the illustration I'm about to give you is a little hard for us to understand because our court system doesn't operate like this, Okay. If anybody's been in front of a judge in court, just don't tell us right now. Tell me later. But it's like the judge with his black, you know, his garb on, his robe. He's got the big high seat. He's also sitting higher than you. Okay, I've been in a courtroom, but not for the reason you think. 
He's sitting higher than you, and he's got the gavel. He can control whatever, who everybody says and everybody talks. He has complete authority of that room, right? He's got his nice gown on and everything. And across from him sits someone who just has been handed a life sentence. The death penalty. We'll go one step further. The death penalty. That's what the judge says. Here's what you've done. I'm going to issue you a death penalty. You have to die. You know, the good news of the Bible would say that the judge would get down out of his seat. He would walk to that person he's just handed death penalty to. He would take his robe off. He'd put it on that person. He'd say, go sit in my chair. And then the judge would stand in that person's place. And the judge would say, kill me instead. That's Jesus. That's the good news of the Bible. He took your place. And he didn't have to. Because that person, you, fully deserved everything you were about to get. Far more than positive thinking, moral living. We don't have to, God doesn't have to go to those lengths if, if we're just sick. God doesn't have to go to those great lengths if we're just generally okay. He would not have to do that. He would not have to send his son to do that. But that's what he does. This is why we sing. This is why we raise our hands when we sing. And I don't know how many people are. I do it from the front. So, This is why we make Sunday morning a worship a priority. This is why we pray. This is why we give. We do all of these things because there is no better way to express our gratitude towards a merciful God than to worship him with all that we are, with every aspect of our lives. We sing, learn, give, connect, serve, all because of what God has done. All because of what God has done. We have trouble with this because we, we become so arrogant, don't we? We experience the grace of God. We're saved. We believe in Jesus Christ. We place our faith in him. And for that moment, everything is beautiful. And it should be. And it should be. But we've become so quickly, we become so arrogant, as if our new life in Christ is the result of something we've done. How arrogant we have become thinking it was our good sense or our basic morality which saved us. How judgmental we have become thinking God loves us because we have effectively cleaned up some dirty corner of our lives. How selfish we have become thinking our Sunday worship is about us. Now by grace you have been saved. It was nothing we have done. It's all about what God has done and here's why. Paul says it, so that no one can boast so that no one can brag, so that Christians can't walk around wondering why everybody's not as good as they are. Haven't we discussed this before? Someone who is dead in their sin, what do you expect them to do? Live as though they worship Jesus? I would think not. Listen, just that thought alone will save you from looking at someone the wrong way. Just that thought alone will change the way you see the person you work with, the person you live with. What do you expect them to do? No, no, no. It was not our performance that raised you from the dead. It was not my performance that raised me from the dead. It was God's great love and his mercy which raised you from the dead. And Paul says he did this because, um, you know, God saved you from your sin because he created you for something new. He created something for you to do. 
Two reasons. One, so he could seat you with Jesus. And two, so he has the opportunity to display his grace through you. You were once dead, but you were saved into a new life. You were once alienated from God, but now you sit with him at his table. You are pleasing to God because you are alive. You are sensitive towards spiritual matters. You are aware of God's grace and his mercy. And maybe the most specific and practical truth of this new resurrected life is this. You no longer are consumed by the worries of this world because you are consumed with the praise of God. I, would, I hope and I, I pray that you guys often think about the things that you care less about as you follow Christ more. The worries of the world that you used to just be consumed by, I hope those start to fade away as you follow Jesus. I hope you sing a little louder. I hope you give a little more. I hope you connect a little deeper. I hope you serve a little more. I hope you love people a little more. I hope you lay down your lives a little more. I hope some of you actually go to a foreign country and tell people about this message. You want to do something real scary? Tell God you're willing to go wherever he wants you to go. Be careful, but do it and see what happens, okay? We'll see you off at the airport. Bye, have fun. But just tell God you're willing to go. He has saved you for this. Don't let the cares of this world stop you from what God has created you to do. Don't do it. Here's a test you can put yourself through to see if you've been saved, to see if you recognize this grace and this mercy, which is what we always should be doing as a church. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Test all the spirits. Test the way you think, the way you feel, the way you live. Ask yourself these questions. Do you love God? Do you love his word, the Bible? Do you desire to honor him? Do you love his church? How many times have we heard, I like Jesus, I just don't like the church? By the way, that's like false. That doesn't work. I like Jesus, but I worship alone in my closet because... The church is full of hypocrites. Well, we have plenty of room for more. Everyone is welcome and no one is perfect. If you love God, you love his people. Amen? That's the way it is. Do you desire to grow in your godliness? Do you desire to align your, align your life with the life of Jesus? Do you desire to obey what the Bible says? Are you laying down your life just as he did for others so that others would have the opportunity to hear this message and be saved? Ask yourself those questions. Now, they may not all be 100%, right? But if one of those is out of alignment, why? This, this kind of brings up a really hard, painful spot for some of us because there are certain things in this life that bring us through painful situations that cause doubt to arise that are certainly dark. Listen, man, I think we can all agree that life is not easy, right? Amen? It seems like every other day something is going to come before you. And it wants to destroy you. The Bible says we live in a world that is not our home. We don't belong here. We belong with Jesus, and that day will come. But until then, we're on the earth. But just let me encourage you. Each time doubt creeps into your heart, each time you question whether or not God has the power to transform the heart that he just saved, remember that if he has the power to save you from your sin, then he has the power to raise you from your sin. And if he has raised you from the dead, he has the power to sustain you and to keep you. He doesn't raise you for no reason. He has raised you from the dead and he will hold you close to him.
That's his promise. This is why the Bible says, for, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us. This is Paul talking about the church. will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. No matter what happens this afternoon or tomorrow or Tuesday or five years from now, you need to remember nothing will separate you from the love of God. If you didn't earn it, you can't lose it. Amen? There's no gift in like, you know, taking the gift back, right? God doesn't do that. He's like, ah, just joking. I got to give that to another person. That doesn't happen. When the worries of this life no longer demand all of your emotions and all of your energy, when you realize that no matter, no matter what is this physical, temporary life throws your way, God will begin to use you for his glory. When you are freed from being consumed by the worries of this life, Paul says God has a job for you. The very last verse, verse number 10. The future of your salvation. Where you were, dead. Where you are now, alive with Christ. Where you are going to be who you will be. Verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Our significance and purpose in this life is made very clear. We have eternal worth. We are important to God. We are his people. We are his children. So now we have a purpose. Friends, don't go searching for significance in this world. Don't do it. Don't look for it in another human. They will let you down all the time. Again, ask my wife. You will let someone else down. Don't let anybody find their significance in you. Guard them from that. Don't find your significance in your career or your job or your children or the money in your bank account. None of that matters and it will all fade away. Our significance and our purpose is very clear. We are worthy to God. We are important to him. We are his people. This is what should wake you up every single day. Not whether that person is still next to you when you wake up or not. Not whether your children come and visit or not. Not whether you have what you need to eat that day or not, although that is certainly going to bring some tension. What matters most is that you wake up and you realize that you have a purpose because God has raised you from the dead. Our purpose is twofold. One, The purpose of our salvation is to bring glory to God and glory to God alone. He alone gets all the praise and the glory and the high fives and the pats on the back. He alone gets all of that stuff. We don't do any of that to ourselves. It's all about him. And number two, the purpose of our salvation is to do good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. If you aren't aligned with the word of God doing the works that God has prepared you for, let me tell you something, someone's suffering because of it. Does that make you feel bad yet? I hope so. God has prepared a whole bunch of good works for you to do, yet you're consumed by the worries of the world. You know what? What's not happening? The good works you're supposed to be doing. Oh, that's really convicting. That actually kind of stings a little bit. There's a misconception in this life. I think most people believe that Christians are involved in good works because they have to, because they have to do it. I have to do this. It's not true. Most people think because if Christians are not, then eternal salvation will leave them. Oh, if you're not doing that anymore, you're not going to church anymore, you're not serving your neighbor any longer, man, you must, you must not be a Christian. Oh, Paul says good works are the result 
of salvation, not a way to earn our salvation, not a way to earn it. Good works should bring joy to your life, not be like a pain. If you're like, oh, I got to help that person again, you might want to rethink where you're at. Just go to sleep, take a nap or something. That usually helps. I'm going to end with some questions. You guys have had enough. Here we go. Ask you a few questions. Number one, thinking about the past, present, and future of these 10 verses. First question is this. Who are you? Ask yourself that question. Who are you? Are you dead? Living enslaved to sin and under the wrath of God? Conditioned to seek destruction in your life and simply waiting for your time to end? Are you dead? Do the things of God, the things of the church, the things of the Bible, do they all just seem tasteless and boring and just something you think you should do, but you're not really engaged or excited when you do them? Did you know that there are people in the church like that? Are you dead? Or are you alive, living in freedom, raised up with Jesus, enjoying a relationship with God? You're either one or the other. There is no between. And those are the only two options. We are not well. We are not sick. Mankind is dead, and they need to be resurrected. Second question, who will you be or whom will you be? For you grammar freaks, I'm not really sure I was supposed to say it, so I just did both. Who will you be or whom will you be? I'm not sure which one. Tell me afterwards, not yet. A person who lives within the grip of this world, a member of the walking dead, Good show, by the way, like the first four seasons. A member of The Walking Dead, living within Satan's systems of destruction and death, because if you're dead, you're just destroying your life day by day by day. Or are you someone who lives within the grip of God's grace? Grace, grace, God's grace. Perfect timing. Are you someone who lives within the grip of God's grace, enjoying the journey, however dark it may seem to be at the moment, enjoying the journey because God has you? Third question, where are you headed? Where are you headed? Towards a life of good works? Serving others? Are you investing in other people? Are you investing in your church family? Are you connected at all? to the people whom you say you love. If you're part of God's family, are you invested in God's family? Are you involved in God's family? Are you serving your community around you? Are you extending a hand to those who are dead, helping them see that there is new life ahead? Or are you headed away from the life of good works? There's a great battle raging in our world, and the battle is spiritual. It is not physical. This battle is the battle over your life and over your soul and over your heart. This battle is for who gets to define who you are. Satan, sin, and death want you to walk out of here today and let the truth of God's word simply roll off your back and have you continue to live in darkness. That's what the world wants. You know what a loving and merciful God wants? He wants you to live within his love and his mercy. God desires to save you. He desires to raise you. He he desires to renew you and then put you to work for his glory. That's what God desires. So the last question I'll ask, and then I'll close and we'll 
um, take communion together, is how will you respond? 